our scripture today is from Romans 5. If you could stand with me for the reading of God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You may be seated. There we go. How's everybody doing? We good? Awesome. Hey, before we dive in, um, maybe one or two clearing up announcements. And then I did want to recognize someone else as part of our birthday celebration. Um, who had fun parking today? Anyone have a good time parking? Wow. Yeah, just a few of you are like, yeah, I did. Meaning I wanted, you know, to like bulldoze a house so we could clear up more space for parking kind of a thing. I get it. Uh, parking is getting fuller and fuller, which by the way, like on our birthday, I just want to say that is a high class problem. That we have more and more people coming to hear about Jesus as the years have gone by. That's a high class problem. Um, just know that we're working on some things to address that for the medium to long haul. In the short term, I would always encourage you um, to go to the 11 if you were able to do that. Um, we have just more space and therefore we have less parking issues. So if you were available, I would just encourage you. In fact, I would just encourage some of you, if you really can, to volunteer and, and go to the 11 just to clear out space so that everybody can find an easier time parking. Um, one other heads up, and we'll give more info on this, I believe, next week. Um, Easter is coming. We're only like four or five weeks away, which is awesome, but we also know a ton of people who call Redeemer Home come on Easter. So just know we're already planning on doing three services on that day just to make more space for parking, just so anyone who comes and wants to hear about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus can and can get a parking spot, okay? So we'll have more info on that next week. Um, I don't see Robin here. I think he might be out in the foyer, but I just wanted to recognize him um, on Redeemer's birthday. Um, Redeemer is all about Jesus, but here's something I believe and I know. I am so thankful that Jesus called Rob to plant this church. And we are so thankful that Rob is the lead pastor underneath Jesus' leadership. Like... And so I just, I just wanted to give honor and just say, listen, God called Rob to plant the church, and we are so thankful and grateful that he did that. Um, Rob was originally, actually, I was originally going to preach this Sunday. Um, Rob was going to be out of town, and then he, his plans changed, and then he was going to, but then he's had a crazy week and a half, and has had to preach like four sermons in two weeks, and is planning some other stuff. And so I just said, hey, why don't I just take this one just to give him a break? So with that in mind, I now get to preach for us an amazing passage from Romans 5 that Kara just 
just read for us. Um, This is a passage that I've lovingly referred to as a this changes everything passage. Um, Occasionally in life, you have moments where you could look at life and say, this changes everything everything. Um, Obviously, for example, when you get married, uh, you have to break some of the habits and ways you were doing life before because now there is another person that you're doing life with. Um, When you have a kid for the first time, that changes everything about your life. You have to redo and rethink all of your patterns in life and and practical things in your life. Um, When your kids begin driving, it changes everything. Anyone with driving kids out there know what I'm talking about? It changes everything, especially the cost of your insurance. If you don't know about that yet, just get ready. Might want to be putting some money in savings already just to prepare for that moment. But no, there's these moments in life that change everything about your life. Same thing even in history. I was just trying to think of what are some of, like, this changes everything moments in history. Think about the development of, of electricity and harnessing electricity. Um, a few people have mentioned and pointed out that if, if you took people from four or 500 years ago and teleported them in time to right here, they would think we were all like wiz, wizards or witches or like demigods because of all the electricity that we have. They would literally have no conception of how to do life the way we do life. Um, the invention of the internet was a huge this changes everything moment. Um, The invention of the smartphone. Um, I was thinking earlier, if you're under the age of 30, you don't like understand the problems that we had just trying to get directions to the McDonald's that was across town that we'd never been to before. Like, or getting to someone's house you'd never been to. Remember like we would have to call them up and write down directions step by step. And then the people would say things like, hey, you're gonna turn left on this road and then you're gonna turn right at the big tree that looks like an angel. You're gonna go about 30 paces. I have no idea how long a pace is, but I'm supposed to go 30 paces and you're gonna take a 45 degree angle turn. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, that's too confusing. But then, like at my age, we thought we were really technologically advanced because something called MapQuest came out. (laughs) MapQuest, anybody? All 15 or 16 pages worth of directions, and you're like trying to make turns and then like flip the page. It's just a fun time. But no, we have these moments where this changes everything. Everything that we understood before has to change in light of something that has come. This is a this changes everything passage. Paul, for the first four chapters of Romans, has been really slowly, methodically, logically laying out an argument. And then all of a sudden, in chapter five, he just erupts in praise and adoration. He starts making these huge statements and isn't any longer arguing for him. He's just throwing out bombs left and right. Um, I was thinking if he was a boxer, if you watch boxing, the first like four chapters is he's coming out, giving some jabs and an occasional hook. In chapter five, he just comes out swinging. Um, If he's a singer, if that's more of your thing, the first few verses of the song, he's just methodically working through the notes. And then in the middle of the song, he's like Whitney Houston and I will always love you. Just belting it out. It just erupts out of him. And the reason it erupts out of him is because he just wants the Romans and now he wants us in our day to understand how everything changes in light of the truth that he's been laying out in the first four chapters. Well, that in mind, I thought it'd be helpful just to get us on the same page of what the first four chapters of Romans has covered. Um, Especially if you haven't been here and missed a few weeks. I just want to get us on the same page and then really talk in Romans 5, 1 through 11 about four things that the truths of Romans 1 through 4 changes for us. Um, I think it would help us to kind of keep it succinct and and tight by going through some drawings that I actually showed you the first week of our series when we were going through Paul's message. Um, The first picture I showed you all was this idea that we live in a broken world. We live in a world of broken 
brokenness. The world around us is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, Our lives are broken and are not the way they are supposed to be. And we ask the question, well, why is that? And what we see in scripture is that God had an original design for the world. It says in Genesis 1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then a few chapters later, we see he creates people. And he created them with the design to live in a relationship with himself. And as long as they submitted to him and, and walked in his will and his ways, things went great. But the second they sinned, everything fell apart. And sin is what leads to brokenness. Now in Romans 1 through, I'd say about the first part of chapter 3, Paul's big focus is on sin. In Romans 1, he basically looks at people more from a pagan background and says, you have sinned, and because of that, the wrath, the just punishment of God is going to come on you for your sins. But then in chapter 2, he looks at religious people and says, you're no better off because you've sinned too. You don't always practice what you preach. And so religious people, guess what? God's wrath is going to come on you too because of your sin. Which leads to the classic statement in early in Romans 3 where Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we live in the broken world and that's why we have broken lives is because of our sin. Our sin, Isaiah says, has separated us from God. Now, this presents a little bit of a problem, not a little bit, a massive problem, a massive conundrum, and it's this. The Bible says that God is holy and just and righteous, and because of that, he must punish sin. He can't just let us off the hook. If we had judges in our society that did that, we would think that they were unjust and corrupt, and God is not an unjust or corrupt God. He is a good and holy God, so he must punish sin, but... God desperately, recklessly loves you and me. And so he wants to save you and me. So the problem that's presented is how can God be just and punish sin, but also be loving and save us? And that brings us to the gospel, which we really get into and got into in the latter part of chapter three. The gospel is this, whereas we have sinned, Jesus never did. And whereas we deserve punishment for our sins, Jesus did not, but he willingly went to the cross. And on the cross, he took the punishment for our sin in our place so that we could be saved, so that we could be declared righteous. But it doesn't automatically happen. And this is where you get in the end of Romans 3 and especially in Romans 4 that we covered in the past few weeks was the idea that we're justified, declared righteous. I think we actually have a definition. Justification or being justified is where God looks at us and we are declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus. So the gospel is not simply that Jesus um, died and rose from the grave. That is definitely the huge part of it. But there also is a response called for and it's us placing our faith in Jesus, giving our lives to Jesus and saying, Jesus, would you save me from the penalty of my my sin. And when we do that, the Bible says that we are justified. God looks at us and says, you are not guilty if we respond in faith. But then if we do respond in faith, we go finally back to our drawing and we complete it. We are reconciled to God's design and we have a relationship with him. All right, let's take a deep breath. We did like Romans 1 through 4 in five minutes. I said take a deep breath because there's more coming because now what Paul's going to do in not just Romans 5, but really I'd say for the next about four or five chapters is going to now kind of double click back on God's design and say, okay, in light now of that, here's what's true of you if you are a believer in Jesus. Here are the benefits that you get because you have been declared righteous in God's sight. 
one thing before we dive in. If you're here and you're just checking out church or checking out the things of Jesus and, and you're not a believer in Jesus yet, here's, here's what I want you to know is please don't tune out right now. Like this is probably going to be a, a message a little bit more geared to those who have already believed in Jesus. But as we're walking through these things I'm going to point out, here's what I want you to think. This is what can be yours. And it can be yours today. I'm going to come back to you here at the end, but I just want you to just stick with me through this next few minutes. This is what can be yours. Now, what is that? Four things that are now ours, four benefits if we have been justified because of our faith in Jesus. Number one, if you've been justified, if you've been reconciled with God through Jesus, you have peace with God. Verse one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the peace that Paul is talking about here is not a subjective feeling of peace, what the Bible often calls the peace of God. Rather, what Paul is referring to is the objective reality that your enmity, your strife with God is over. That, but before, when you were apart from Christ, the Bible called you an enemy of God. Now, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are now reconciled with God and you are his friend. You are a part of his family. You have objective peace with God, even if you don't always feel subjective feelings of peace with God. And often what happens, I think, especially in our culture that is so obsessed with feelings, we focus more on the emotion of, hey, do I have a peace or not with God? And some of you struggle with, I don't, I don't feel like things with me and God are actually good, that me and God are good. And here's why, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, at some point, God convicted you of your sin. So you are actually aware of sin in a way that a non-believer in Jesus is not. So a non-believer in Jesus may have a feeling of peace with God, but they don't actually have peace with God. You may have peace with God, but you may not feel that peace. Are you tracking with me? And the difference is because you have become aware of your sin. But, but here's what I would say to us is that it's more important is the objective reality than the subjective feelings. Um, here's what I mean by this. Uh, when I was in my 20s and in seminary in Alabama, um, I began having these really sharp head pains. would come right about here in my head and would just hit every so often, just felt like a needle or just like an ice pick just all of a sudden stabbed me in the head. Really painful. Um, I was sitting in a chapel service one day and all of a sudden it just hit me, this huge attack of the pain. And over and over again, this pain is just searing through my head. And, and in that moment, I, I wasn't being melodramatic, but in that moment, I really didn't think I was about to die. Um, my uh, grandfather had had an aneurysm. Um, my uncle had had a brain tumor. And so I thought, I am right now going to die in this moment in this chapel, or I now have a brain tumor and it's going to lead to my death like it led to my uncle. Um, I actually pulled out a piece of paper, the uh, worship guide for that day for the chapel, and I just wrote a quick note just in case. And I just said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Do not pity me. So I wrote that, and then I actually opened up the guide, and the title of the sermon that day was called Going Home. I was like, God, come on, man. I was like, I was like come on. That's just, it's funny, but it's not funny. It's like, it's like really? Like, this is, this is it? Well, obviously, I did not die. They're like, well, what happened? I did not die. In case you're wondering, um, I went to the doctor. I, I made it through the chapel service, went to the doctor, got an MRI, got a CAT scan, and there was nothing there. 
no aneurysm, no brain tumor, and, and, and it was amazing. But, but here's the thing is, in that moment, I went into that MRI and that CAT scan and then the doctor's appointment afterwards with no feeling of peace. I actually felt like I was going to die, but then I actually learned that, no, 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 objectively, I am fine and I'm healthy, even if I was not feeling it. I would much prefer that than to have had feelings of peace and feelings of health and actually had had an aneurysm or a brain tumor. In the same way, if you're in here and you don't necessarily feel the feeling that you're at peace with God, it's more important that you are objectively okay with them, even if you don't feel it right away. And, and there's some of you in here, and I've, I've talked to you, you almost have obsessed with the idea of, man, am I truly saved? Does God truly love me? A, a, am I okay with God? And if that's you in here, or maybe if it's you in the future, here's my encouragement to you this morning. Shift your focus. In life, typically wherever you focus is where you go. And I would encourage you to shift your focus from your feelings to the facts. Um, I heard this illustration, and it's hard to know who it came from. Some people would say Watchman Nee, who was a, a 20th century um, Chinese Christian leader. Other people would say it was a writer in the Keswick tradition from the 1800s. Whoever it come, came from. It's awesome. I just want to share it with you. Imagine three people um, on a wall or maybe on a ledge, and there's a cliff on either side. Um, in the back here is feeling. In the middle is faith. And in the front is fact. So three people, feeling, faith, and fact. As long as faith keeps their eyes on fact, everything will be okay, and they'll be able to walk straight. The feeling might lag behind, but eventually it will catch up. Conversely, the second that faith begins to turn its head and focus on feeling, faith will begin to stumble. And for some of us, we've been looking over our shoulders at our feelings and using that to evaluate how we are with God. When I'm here to tell you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you've got to refocus on the fact of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and what this passage says about you. You have objective peace with God. You are his friend. You are safe because of what he did for you. So you have peace with God. But number two, not only do you have peace with God, you also have the favor of God. Through him, we have also obtained access by grace, I mean, access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Sometimes, often actually, grace is used in the Bible as an idea of God's mercy for our sin. Um, think of Ephesians 2, by grace you have um, been saved. But there's another meaning of grace that really has more of the, fl uh, the flavor here in this passage. And that's the idea of grace is the favor of God. It's his favorable disposition towards you where God is 100% for you, 100% of the time. Um, this word access here, we're talking about we've obtained access by faith into this favor, into the, the, this idea of what's being in the favorable disposition of God is the same word that would be used of people who brought others into the access of a king or of royalty or of a leader. Uh, I, when I heard this, I actually thought about uh, the president of the United States, right? Powerful person, most powerful person in the world. Hard to get access to that person. But do you know who has just about, actually, I doubt about, they have unlimited access at any moment is their kids. At any moment, their kid can be in the, pre, in, the, in the presence of the president, and in that moment, it's just their father. You have access to the king of the universe who has all power and authority in this world. And at every time when he looks at you, he, all he sees is his kid who he favors if you have faith in Jesus. God is 100% for you if you're a believer in Jesus. 
Now, he's not 100% for everything you do. But what's amazing is in Scripture, it says that sometimes God does discipline us for the things that we do that he doesn't like. But in Hebrews, it says he disciplines as his what? Children, those whom he loves. So even his discipline of us for our sin is actually for us. It's for our good. God being 100% for you doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. We're going to see this in this passage here in just a moment. But what it means is, is when it happens, we can know that God is not against us in the middle of our trials. God is actually for us. In a few chapters in Romans 8, we are going to read that God is able to work all things, not just the good things in our life, but all things, including the bad things, for our good. And that's why later in Romans 8 it says, if God is for us, which he is, what and who can be against us? If you're here and you've been reconciled with God, you are 100% in his favor. You are a favored child of God by his grace. This is what is true of you right now. But there's more. You have peace with God. You have favor with God. And then what we see here is you have hope for the future. Now, I said Paul kind of gets really excited. And anytime, you're going to see him actually do this a couple times in Romans where he just erupts and starts kind of just going on this huge rant. And when he does that, sometimes he'll kind of go off on a tangent in the middle of it and then come back. He does that right here. So I'm going to read a verse and explain a little bit. And then we're going to skip a few verses where he picks up his thought after he goes on a tangent. Okay, so just know if you're like, why did we skip these verses? We're going to skip a few, but we're going to come back to them for our last point. Look with me, I'm at verse two. Through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What what Paul is referring to there is in the future, when Jesus returns or when we stand before him after we die, we don't have to dread that. But now we get to look forward to it. Um, We we know this because just in a few verses here in a minute, which we'll get to in a minute, um, what we see is that Paul says in the future, we are going to be saved from God's judgment, his punishment, his wrath. And so because of that, we can have hope for the future. So for the Christian, everything changes. And in the book of Romans, the future is pretty grim for anyone who does not know Jesus. And by pretty grim, I mean really grim. They are going to have to face God's just punishment for their sins and receive the penalty for that themselves. But the second you believe in Jesus and are justified, that punishment goes from your future to your past. And so the future is no longer something you have to dread. It's something that you can look forward to. When you stand before God because of your faith in Jesus and what Jesus did for you, you don't have to be afraid that God's going to look at you and say, get away from me. Depart from me. Oh, I'm so sick of you. God is going to look you in the eye and say, welcome home. And when the Bible uses the word hope, it's different than the way we use the word hope. Um, Usually when we use the word hope, it's like, I hope something happens. It's like wishful thinking, optimism. Um, I hope the Cubs win the World Series. I'm a huge Cubs fan. Um, I hope that we don't have a bad fire season this summer because of the lack of rain and snow that we're getting up on the mountains. Although this week's supposed to have like 50 inches of snow up on Mount Baker. For those of you who were skiers and snowboarders, it's finally coming. But yeah, for us, usually when we think of hope, it's wishful thinking, it's optimism. But there's no guarantee it will take place. For the Bible and the biblical terms, hope is different. Hope is the absolute assurance that something is going to happen because God has said it will happen. And God's word never fails. He keeps every promise. 
And so when he says to you, listen, you can boast and you can rejoice in the hope of glory because one day you're going to be welcomed home. You will not receive condemnation in the future. You will only receive affirmation and welcoming. You can have a hope for the future. You can bet on it. But you may be thinking, okay, like how? How do I know? How do I know that God won't just get, get like tired of me? Like, because like, like, listen, like, let's just be real, okay? Let's be real. There's people in our lives who we love, but we also, let's just be honest, put up with and tolerate. Could be a coworker, could be that person on the sidelines, like at, at the little league game or the soccer game. We don't want to say it because it sounds mean, but there's just people that we can only be in their presence for so long before we just lose it. Thanksgiving and Christmas meals, anyone? Have anyone have like a, cra- like a crazy cousin Eddie out there? Little Christmas vacation reference for some of you right there. Like there's just people that were like, man, we can only stand him for so long and then eventually we just get tired of him. So how do we know that God's not gonna be like, okay, this guy's like Cousin Eddie, I'm done, I'm done. I can't do it, I'm definitely not doing it for eternity. How do we know that? That Paul actually addresses this. This is where we're gonna skip a few verses in this passage. So he says, we rejoice in the hope of glory. But then if you go down to verse five, he says, and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We know that God's not gonna change his mind on us because of his love. The Holy Spirit makes that real, this says, but then he makes it real by pointing our eyes to the cross. And that's why our text goes on. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that we were st- while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul and God's word anchors our hope in the future based on what God has done in the past. by what God has done in the past, specifically through the cross. Did you catch how the Bible described us, though, whenever it said that Jesus died for us? The words it used, we were weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. Christ died for us at our worst, when we were helpless and couldn't save ourselves. When I was studying this text, um, it reminded me of a story I heard from a pastor, I've actually heard several pastors share this. It's just a, a beautiful, incredible, true story. There's a guy named James Harrison um, in Australia. He was known and is known as the man with the golden arm. I actually think we have a picture of him up here. Um, it was discovered that his blood contained this rare antibody that specifically helped kids that were suffering with something called Reese's disease, which would cause death in infants and little kids, and if not death and severe illness and sickness. But there was just something about his blood and his plasma that contained the cure. So for um, decades, Every week, James Harrison would actually go in and donate his blood and plasma in order for little kids to receive treatments so that could be saved. Um, eventually, he reached the age limit um, of where he could not donate anymore, but they still honored and recognized him. And when they were doing their research, they had estimated that this man, because of constantly giving his blood, had been responsible for saving 2.4 million babies in Australia. And I think we actually have a picture of him with a couple of the babies that his blood had helped save. And I mean, just think, like these babies, just so cute, but also just so helpless, could not save themselves from the disease that they had. But James was willing to sacrifice and give his blood so that they could be saved. And that's amazing. And that should stir us and move us. 
And I'm here to tell you that is just a faint, 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 faint echo of what Jesus did for us. Because not only were we helpless like these babies, the Bible actually says we were the enemies of God when God sent his son and when Jesus went to the cross for us. And Jesus didn't just give a little blood, he gave it all. He gave his life to save his enemies from the punishment they deserve by taking it on himself. He loved us at our worst. And what that tells us is that God's love is not based on our love for him. And that is good news. If God's love for us was based on our love for him, we'd be in trouble because God's love for us would change as our love for him changed. Because God loved us at our worst, it means that if we're ever at our worst in the future, his love does not change. God's love is not like our love. It's not fickle. It's not fragile. It's firm and it's set and it's forever demonstrated by the cross. The cross is the greatest proof that you will ever get and you will ever need that Jesus loves you. And therefore, the cross is the greatest hope for you in the past as you're looking to the future that you will be saved. Then the future, God's gonna welcome you home and not push you away if you're a believer in Jesus. Man, this has been incredible. I hope this has been encouraging. I hope this stirs you up that this is what is yours if you're a believer in Jesus. You have peace with God. You have the favor of God. You have hope for the future. But there's one more thing you have in this passage that we're now gonna go back to our previous verses and come back to. You can have joy in the present. Specifically, as we'll see, amidst the trials and sufferings and circumstances of life. I'm going to go ahead and say this, though, then we're going to read our passage. Um, I phrase this, if you notice, a little bit differently. The first three is, you have, you have, you have. These are objectively true. This fourth one requires more buy-in from you. Joy is an emotion, but joy, as we'll see in a second, is also a choice. Because of everything that Jesus has done, you can have joy if you decide to step into it. This is what Paul says in Romans 5. Going back a few verses earlier to verse three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. So Paul says, because of your faith and you've been reconciled with God through the gospel, you can have joy in the midst of suffering. Now, if you're here and you don't know Paul's story, that, that may come off to you as like insensitive or a little trite. Like, well, what does Paul know? Um, just, just so you know, if you don't know Paul's story, Paul suffered a lot. Um, later in the New Testament, he gives uh, just a list of all the things he went through in life. Um, he was whipped, like his body was just ripped of its skin on the back through whipping multiple times. One time um, he was stoned at these huge rocks where people were just thrown at him trying to kill him. He was imprisoned multiple times. There was a time where he was actually in a shipwreck because he was being transported to Rome to stand trial. Paul went through a lot, but he was able to look through everything he went through and not rejoice at it, but rejoice in it. Why? Because Paul saw what was being worked in him by the things that were happening to him and around him. See, joy, yes, is an emotion, but again, joy is a choice. And here's the choice. Instead of looking at what's happening to me or around me, I choose to focus on what God is doing in me through what's happening to me and around me. 
But what Paul knew, what we got to learn this morning, is that actually it's trials and sufferings that are God's means of maturing us and strengthening of our faith. Um, I've got a little dumbbell up here because I was thinking about how do you grow strong. And, and it's a little dumbbell. I think just five or seven pounds, somewhere like that. And so, uh, you know, right now I'm just beginning to lift. And I promise I'm not trying to impress. Doing a seven-pound dumbbell is not impressive. Like I'm just saying, but here's my question for you as I'm doing this. Am I growing stronger right now? Barely, right? Why? Because there's not a lot of resistance. Because there's not a lot of struggle. Strength actually comes when the resistance is increased and when the struggle is increased. Strengths come through struggle. And so one of the things that God wants to do is mature us in our faith and strengthen our faith. And what God knows is, is the best way to do that sometimes is through actually putting us in places where we face greater resistance and greater struggle. And that's how we grow strong in our faith. And that's God's means of helping us endure to the end when we're welcomed home by him. Tracking? Um, I've uh, experienced this myself in life. Um, I think I've shared parts of my story here before, but just a little bit of a recap. Um, in my middle school and high school years, just went through a, a steady three or four years of just a lot of hardship, a lot of suffering. Um, my brother became severely addicted to drugs, um, had to put him in rehab, and he was just a very violent guy. Home was awful because of just the different things going on there. Um, about a year after we did that, I, I lost both my uncle and my grandfather um, in the same week. And then a year after that, my mom left my family um, when I was a freshman. I'm going to be real with you and say I did not respond well. I, I, I did not have Paul's attitude here. I was furious at God. I was so angry. And, and I had a season where I said, God, if this is what it means to follow you, I'm, I'm done. And I walked away. And, and as an aside, that's why we're so glad God's love for us does not depend on our love for him. Because even as I walked away, guess what? God kept pursuing me and pursuing me. And eventually, by God's grace, he restored me in the sense of that fellowship, in the sense of just that close communion with him. And eventually, I, can, I just said, God, I'm so sorry for walking away. I should have never done that. If I just, as a short aside, if any of you are walking through seasons like that, the biggest mistake I ever made was that I stopped yelling at God and pressing into him. Like there's a biblical category for people who even if they have joy, they're still wondering, God, what's going on? And so they press into God with their sorrow. That's just an aside in case you're right in the middle of it. But looping back, um, after I had been kind of really this moment of, after I'd had a moment of repentance where I'd been restored back to an act of fellowship with God, in the coming years, I had this realization. What I went through in that season of life was so tough. But I wouldn't be half the person I am without it. And my relationship with Jesus went to a whole nother level because I went through it. And so because of that, I now can have joy in every situation because I can see that while I don't enjoy every situation, God is wanting to do something in me and through me in every situation because of that I can rejoice. And because of this, and this is where I want us to tie all this together, you know why I can have joy in every situation? Because in every situation, I know these things. I know that no matter what's happening to me around me, I have peace with God. That the stuff happening to me around me isn't a sign that God hates me. No, I'm perfectly at peace with him. He and I are okay, even if everything in my life isn't okay. I can have joy in every situation because I know that I am standing in his favor by his grace.
that he is 100% for me. I can have joy in every situation because I know my hope for the future is set. I love what D.A. Carson once said. He said, there's nothing that you're walking through in life that a good resurrection can't fix. (laughs) That no matter what I'm going through in life, I can have joy in the midst of it because I know that even if everything doesn't get worked out in that situation, God's going to work out in the future (laughs) and all be put back to right. And in the midst of everything, I know God wants to do something in me and through me in, in that because that I can have joy. And here's my encouragement to you. No matter what you are going through, have been through, or will go through in life, you can too if you're a believer in Jesus. This changes everything. What we've been covering in Romans isn't just abstract thought and, and truths that are good for you to know. No, if you will actually live in light of them, it changes everything. So two questions for us. Number, number one, I would say this. I've almost described these four things as kind of like benefits, the benefits of being reconciled to God through your faith and by the work of Jesus. Do you have access to these benefits? And specifically, this, if you're in the room or watching online or listening later on podcasts or whatever, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't, here, here's what I would tell you is that and all the things we went through this morning are great and beautiful, and I hope they inspired you, but they're not yours if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, and so I would just say, hey, if, you, if you're here or if you're listening and, and if this isn't yours, it can be. And, and the way that happens is through faith. It's not through you getting your stuff together. It's not through you trying to do it all and and, and course correct your life. It's actually recognizing that, again, you can't do anything to save you. Jesus did it all through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. And then right now, just give him your life and place and your faith in him, and you can have immediate access to everything we just talked about. And and if you're here or if you're listening you want to reach out to us later, if you're like, hey, I don't know if I'm ready or have some questions, like before you leave today, or again, if you're listening, just contact us. Like, reach out to someone on staff, get one of us that has a, a, a lanyard on. Do not leave here without talking to us. We'd love to talk with you through any questions you have. But, but for the rest of us in the room, in my sense is the vast majority is, these are things that are already yours in Jesus. Are you enjoying these benefits? Uh, I think of the word benefits. Um, when you get a job, I, I learned this when I was in my 20s. You get this sheet of paper. It's called explanation of benefits when you get that job, Right? The EOB. (laughs) It's like all the stuff that is now yours because you got the job. But here's what I've learned is that some of those things did automatically come to me, all right? It's like, yeah, it just automatically comes to me every month, like my paycheck. But there are certain things that, like, I actually have to do something to enjoy and actually live in those benefits, right? In the same way, all these things I've said before, they're already objectively yours, but at the same time, to enjoy them, you've got to actively step into them and remind yourself of them. And so here's just my encouragement for you is if you could pick one thing, one benefit that we went over today, if you're already a believer in Jesus, what is the one thing that God is really wanting to remind you of at this season of your life? Maybe you're in here and you don't have a sense that you have peace with God. And maybe this week what you need to remind yourself every day, maybe you just go to Romans 5.1 and you just say, I'm not going to focus on my feelings. I'm going to focus on the facts. I'm going to say, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you think, no, God is against me. He doesn't love me. Maybe you just need to read that second part of the idea of and through him. And I would encourage you to do what I'm doing. That's personal. Through him, I have obtained access by faith into this grace in which I stand. I'm in God's favor. He's for me. 
any of the others, what is it? This week, actively go into God's word and appropriate and step into the benefit and enjoy what Jesus died to give you. Let's pray. Mm. Yeah, God, um, we love your word. And, and, and Romans has such beautiful, deep, and amazing truths, but there is just something about it that as we're going through, sometimes we can get lost in the information and all the, the details and the arguments, God. And I just pray that today we would have seen, and, and not just seen and known again in our heads, but felt in our hearts that this really does change everything, or it should. And God, I pray that it would for the people in the room. God, I pray that we, as your children, would know what is ours because of what you've done for us and because we've placed our faith in you. And I just pray that we would now enjoy the benefits of our salvation every day. That it wouldn't just be a head thing, but like we would be like Paul here who just exalts and exalts in you and what you have done and loves you more. And we can have all these things now and in the future. But God, I do pray for anyone in the room who they have not placed your faith, their faith in you. Oh, God, stir in their heart right now. Open up their eyes to see your beauty and the wonder of who you are. And God, yes, I, I do pray, though, right now, I, I, all the benefits that we talked about can be yours, but I pray that they would see you and love you just for you, regardless of anything they get, you give them, that you are worthy of giving their life to because of who you are and what you've done. Oh, Jesus, now as we move into communion, into worship, help us to now give you praise that befits what you've given to us. It is in your name we pray. Amen.